The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF different, visit FVF.law. Hello, friends, and thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. On today's show, we're going to review Austin FC's 2-0 loss against the LA Galaxy. We'll also preview the next match against Nashville, and then we're going to talk about salaries. Since uh, the MLS Players Association recently released player salaries across the league, uh, we now know what all of the Austin FC players are making. So we found some interesting little pieces of information in that that we're going to share with you. Um, we'd like to thank any new listeners once again. We've seen our our download numbers going up and up each week. So thanks so much for for sharing this with your friends, telling people people about it. If you haven't told a friend, find a friend who's interested in soccer, soccer soccer curious people. Let them know about our show. We'd really appreciate that. Um, for people who are soccer curious, we have an event coming up, don't we, Jeremiah? Yeah, we have a live show. It's pretty exciting. It's our first our first Moon Tower soccer. I guess it's not officially just Moon Tower Soccer Live, but uh, on Tuesday, May 25th at the W Hotel, we're going to be doing a free event that starts at 5.30. Um, we're on a panel from 6 to 6.45 with a guy that people who know soccer may know. Who, who is that? Uh, his name is Adrian Healy. Yeah, some some guy, Adrian Healy. I think he's pr- British guy, probably knows a bit about soccer. He's <laughs> called some World Cup stuff. Um, yeah, it's going to be called, uh, tackling the terms. It's kind of created for new fans who are excited about the club, but may not be soccer MLS experts. So it's a free event at the W hotel on the 25th. And we'll put a link to register in the show notes for those of you that want to check it out. Hey, Landon, I have, I have a question for you. Have you found yourself watching more MLS as, as we get like near to Austin playing than before? Or do you just like watch it nonstop? Um, oh, honestly, the last... Um, probably the last season and a half, last, last season for sure in 2020, but part of the year before that I've watched more MLS than any other soccer. And like part of it has to do with TV deals. It got harder to watch premier league. Um, but also I don't have Peacock. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but like, I just found myself just like getting more interested in it as like, as it got closer to Austin FC being a reality and um, just wanted to learn as much as I could about it, about who, which players we could potentially get, who our opponent's going to be, and just learn a bit more about the league. And so I've watched more MLS than I have any other league in the last year and a half. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of same way. This week was the first week that we had uh, like a, the double game week, right? So we had like Wednesday games and Saturday games and Sunday games. And like, I think I watched parts of six matches on Wednesday, which drove my family a little bit nuts. And my... <laughs> My kids still think that like every time we're watching an event, they're like we have there's like a good guy and a bad guy, you know. And so like we're watching <laughs> you know, New England and I mean I guess this is New England Columbus, but you know, or like or, or I don't remember who Orlando played, but like who's our team, Daddy? I'm like, we're just watching soccer, man. Um, but there was one thing <laughs> that I had not thought about that I didn't know. This is I'm gonna have soccer trivia for you, which I know you I feel like oh. you don't love. No, but, I, I, um, I like trivia. I'm a trivia fan. Okay, so there are, right now, there are two designated players in MLS who are American and have only played in Major League Soccer. Oh. Can you name these two players? So, like, for example, Josie Altador doesn't count, right? Because he's been all over the world. Right. But there's there's only two in the whole league that are, like, American U.S. nationals um, who have never played in any, any other league. Hmm... And they both played on Wednesday because they played for the same team. 
Um, is Jossie Zardes one of them? He is one of them. Oh, so, okay, on the same team. Who is their other DP? Celerion Nag- would be one of them. Oh, Nagby. And Darlington Nagby. The only, the only, those are the only two, like, American that have only ever played in MLS DPs in the entire entire league right now, which I thought was fascinating. That, that is they fascinating. Would, that they would both end up in Columbus, which I, I hadn't thought about, but... Uh, but, you know, it's Wednesday night. I had nothing else to do. I was like on <laughs> Wikipedia and, and watching MLS. All right. The more you know. Uh, you want to jump into the uh, LA Galaxy recap? Or, or did you, what, did you yeah. just want to skip it? <laughs> no, we yeah, we should talk about that a bit. But, yeah, it was not like a joyful moment. Um, I think all of our worst expectations were lived up to um, in this week's match. Yeah, so um, some of the storylines leading up to the game uh, in the midweek press conference, Burhalter mentioned explicitly that we can expect squad rotation. And I mean, so, Josh Wolf. Burhalter oh, was one yeah. <laughs> Burhalter yeah. was one of the players in that, but yeah, Josh Wolf did. <laughs> yes, coach coach Sebastian Burhalter. Uh yeah, Josh Wolf said that we should expect rotation. Um I honestly thought we were going to get more than what we ended up getting, but I guess we saw three three changes. Is that right? So Jimenez made his first start. Yeah, right back. Uh, Houston rotated back in. Right. And then Pereira was uh, uh, in, in for, for filling the spot for ring. Yep. Right. Okay. Yeah. So um, um, we were kind of talking in the strikers slack with Bills last week and kind of trying to guess who those rotations were going to be. And I think Bills guessed up, up to six spots rotated and it looked reasonable i thought maybe we would see five or six but it ended up just being three um yeah and i think that last one we mentioned is probably the most interesting and the one we weren't really sure what they're going to do is who's who's going to replace ring right and it ended up being danny Pereira. yeah and that and uh i think a lot of us thought it was going to be burr halter um and i think we we talked about that last week as sort of our expectation and then burr halter was one of the players in the midweek press conference which I guess I read into that being um, that he was going to be the guy in the spot. But also I went back today and listened to Josh's Tuesday press conference when he had the classic non-committal, <laughs> you know, every, everybody's, we got a lot of guys with a lot of options, you know, we're going to evaluate all week who presents the best opportunity for whatever. And he, he, he never really, he talked about Burhalter. He talked about Pereira. He just talked about the midfield overall. I think he even mentioned Fagundes, but he never gave an answer to that. But I was a little bit surprised to see Pereira being um, the player that took that spot. I really was too. And we can we can talk a bit more about what we think about that um, that decision a little bit later. But I think oh one more one more thing on that. Did you like see the tweet um, that they put out like an hour before the? Uh, I don't don't know if it was just the club, but I saw it somewhere with like the lineups. No, I don't think I did. Yeah, so it so the first which I don't I don't remember where it came out first, but it was like all over the place and they had Jimenez in the midfield spot. Oh, yeah, and I did Pereira see that. right back and that confused everybody. But I knew that was wrong. <laughs> like those things are just I, I wrong too. sometimes, right? Yeah, I did too. I was sitting I was sitting next to Kako at uh, Hop Squad and he's like, "What is going on?" I'm like, "Oh, this has to be wrong. It yeah. doesn't make any sense at all." Yeah, I saw some people online reacting to it as well. And it's like, "Oh, this is a mistake putting Danny at right back." It's like he's not playing right back. It's he's not, not what's he's not right back. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought that was that was interesting too. Um, 
All right, so let's jump into kind of the major moments of the game. So in the 25th minute, Johan Romagna fouled Chicharito in the box after uh, he chased down a long through ball. Um, that penalty ended up being saved by Brad Stuver for one of the most exciting moments of the match. Then in the 35th minute, another long ball over the top down the middle. We see a theme uh, coming up here. Uh Hector Jimenez dives to try to clear the danger, but ends up kind of miscuing it. And Sebastian Legette gets the ball, puts a really, really nice finish past Stuver for the first goal there. Uh, and then in the 60th minute, uh, Josh Wolf makes a bunch of changes. In the 77th minute, uh, Chicharito does what Chicharito does and scores a goal in inside of the six-yard box uh, to put it put the game away pretty much so uh yeah a disappointing game for sure but um uh, against a really good team at least the the galaxy did look really solid um going back to that stuver pk save so looking at what led to that penalty uh if you look at look at austin's back line the offside trap or the what they're trying to to make an offside trap Beesler steps to try to keep Chicharito on uh, because he's doing one of these Chicharito's famous for his movement, right? And so Chicharito does like this triple fake and ends up trying to make a run. Beesler tries to step to keep him offside, but he doesn't see behind him where Romagna has dropped three or four yards to try to track Grandseer, who's also making a run. And so Beasler essentially just puts himself in terrible position. And once that ball is played, there, he has no chance. And so uh, Chicharito is chasing the ball down. Romagna is able to catch up to him and puts in uh, a tackle right on the edge of the box, but definitely inside of the box. Did you, after watching the replay, did you think that was 100% a foul or did you ever have any doubt about that one? I, I felt like it was the right call. I mean, I it's one of those that can go either way in a situation but like once once it happened i'm like yeah i mean i can see that i was not upset about that at all did you have a different opinion on on watching it for a second i was convinced that it shouldn't have been a foul after watching it a few times like i think depending on it's one of those like how how you interpret the rule because romagna did touch the ball um if you watch the ball the rotate like romagna swings his leg and the rotation of the ball changes a little bit so I think he like puts a toe on it essentially and then takes Chicharito out. And so some people say like, oh, if you get the ball and then make a foul, it, it's it's clean. I don't think that's necessarily so clear cut. He definitely got much more of Chicharito than he did the ball. And so I think it's a fair penalty shout, but I've seen calls like that not get made before as well. Uh, in any case, it I, I yeah, I, I don't I'm not going to complain about that one. Um, I think that's one of those ones that Romagna is going to pick up too, just because he's like a big physical guy and the refs are going to interpret action and he's probably going to get more of those going to go against him than maybe it would otherwise if he wasn't like such a Hulk of a, yeah. of a, of a dude, you know, if you swing a tree trunk leg at someone, it's going to, it's going <laughs> to knock him over. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Chicharito ends up taking that penalty. Uh, it's a decently well-placed penalty. Mm -hmm. I thought maybe he could have either put it a little higher, a little lower, but it was right off the off the upright post. 
Uh, Stuver makes that dive, guesses the right side, gets completely outstretched and gets a really strong hand, just one-handed save uh, with his left hand there. I thought it was a really nice save by Stuver there. Yeah, that was that was really well played, and it was like a good celebration too. Like it's uh, like the fist pump afterwards. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, and, and, and I, every watch part, every watch party went crazy. <laughs> yeah, that video from Armadillo Den was amazing. <laughs> the Los Verdes had uh, kind of made their their main watch party the Armadillo Den in way south Austin, and there's a video. If if you haven't seen this, listeners, find this on. Uh, on Twitter, but it was it was pretty fantastic to see this whole place that's full of of black and verde just erupt in celebration. It was pretty awesome, uh, and this this led to Mark Turner on Twitter suggesting that um, a new nickname for Brad Stuver should be Stu Verde. It's uh, what what do you think about that one? I kind of like it. It's kind of nice. It's um, it's it feels weird. <laughs> to call, I don't know. <laughs> it's like funny to call like Brad Stuver, who I love Brad Stuver. He's a lovely person, a great, great human being, but he's also extremely white. And so to have like <laughs> a nickname that's partly in Spanish just feels a little bit weird to me. But I do like, I do like the name overall for sure. Uh, yeah, that works too, I think. And you know, uh, the other Brad Stuver point this week is somebody was talking about how his hair never moves. And I think some, <laughs> I think somebody on Twitter tried to get him to answer what his uh, uh, product of choice was. Yeah. And he, his lips are he sealed. very specific. Yeah. His lips are sealed. He won't, he's not going to reveal it. All right. Let's move on to uh, that second goal. Sebastian Legette. Um, this is again, a, a long ball over the top from a center back. Uh, Legette's running through uh, runs, kind of down the center, but Jimenez is in a position to where he can kind of track and catch up to him. The ball bounces once, and Jimenez, I'm not sure exactly what he's trying to do, but he he tries to cut across Legette's body. And I think maybe he was just kind of going for a bold move and trying to head it to Stuver so that Stuver could, could catch it. Um, he ends up completely missing the ball. There's a big collision with Legette. Uh, Legette ends up with finishing the, the ball really nicely past Stuver and Jimenez is injured on this play. He, he goes down and doesn't get back up, ends up being taken off the field on a stretcher, um, which is really unfortunate. Um, hopefully we haven't gotten any news yet from, from what his condition is, but hopefully uh, it's, it's nothing too serious and he'll be able to come back soon, but it did look pretty bad based on his reaction. Um, I thought watching the replay of this, that Jimenez was in a really good position to just let the ball bounce again and clear it clear it out or even maybe to like settle it and try to play it out of out of danger but what 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 do you have a take on what you thought he was doing there I I was just no I mean I was I was lost and you know to, I guess depending on the injury I mean it was it possible that he hurt himself on the move before the collision and that was just like him lunging out to to do something because it was just it was a weird it just didn't make a lot of sense and obviously you know good for legit to finish it but it did not lead to a good outcome either but it was just all of a sudden he was like flopping in every direction at once and it was hard to keep up with what what his objective was yeah i don't i i kind of thought the same thing that you just mentioned but after watching it it was everything up until like the point when he jumped seemed intentional and it seemed like the injury came from the collision with Legette. So I really don't know. Um, 
but anyway, that ends up leading to the first goal there. Or sorry, the yeah, that's the first goal, right? Yes, because the second we should we should know this. The second goal was the yeah Chicharito delivery. <clears throat> yeah, so the second goal was, um, <laughs> it starts with Aiden Stanley getting kind of roasted on the the wing there. He steps up to try to close down uh, Araujo. Uh, and I think it's Zubak plays a little one-two and Stanley arrives to pressure late. And by the time he gets there, Araujo has already pl- played the ball to Zubak. By the time Stanley realizes what's going on, Araujo is behind him and Zubak plays this one-time pass behind him and he's off to the races. And then uh, ends up playing like a long, not unlike the balls that uh, Jared Stroud has been playing the last few weeks but uh, kind of a long on-the-ground ball right into the box. And Chicharito ends up squeezing in between Beasler and Romagna to, to finish it with inside the six-yard box. Watching this back, I was trying to figure out who, which of the center backs was more at fault for this goal, and I still am not entirely sure I know the answer. I think, I, I think in the moment... Um, and then I, some of the reaction I saw online, I think Romagna was getting some of the blame. But after watching it again, I think Beasler could have maybe done a bit more. He seems to let up a little bit before he should have. And maybe if he could have like put in a few extra strides, he would have gotten there and stopped the ball or at least been able to put Chicharito under a bit more pressure. Um, but in any case, he's... He did a really great job to finish it and to get in that position anyway, just because he's that good and has been in really good form lately. But again, it's just another moment where you feel like Austin could have done more in several moments in the build up to that play. And then with Stanley over there and then with the center backs at the end there, I, I, I think they could have done more to, to prevent this for sure. So this week we again asked folks uh, questions from Twitter. I think one thing that was interesting uh, from the account is that a lot of the questions were more I guess like broader and philosophical. I didn't feel like very many of the questions we got today were really specifically about the LA Galaxy game, but kind of what it meant in the context of things. So I think we can we can go through those and sort of do our best to to answer that. And I think but before we before we started recording, we were talking about these, and there's like there's a lot of unknowns that we don't quite get yet. And maybe there's questions that we can ask Josh, Josh Wolf next week. Um, there's a couple <laughs> things yeah. specifically that I was that I was curious about. So let's go ahead and start with some of those. So yeah, the first the first question we have here is from Kevin Morris, and he's quoting uh, Joseph Lowry tweet, friend of the show, Joseph, Joseph Lowry. Um, he's Joe Lowry ends up kind of like spelling out some of the issues that he's seeing in the game. Um, among those things is work without the ball um, has been a problem, especially in this game. And then being slow to pressure defensively, uh, they were a little bit slower to on the press than they have been in games past. Struggling in defensive transition, which has been an issue all season. And then uh, crooked off sidelines, which is a thing that we mentioned in that uh, in that first goal. And Kevin Morris quote tweeted this and says, on a scale from quite important to extremely important, how important is it that the team address these issues ASAP? And this is, like you mentioned, we were talking about this one beforehand, and I don't know how urgent are these things and like what what are the things exactly that need to change? Is this a tactic shift? Is this a personnel shift? 
what like what how do you see that how important is it that we fix these immediately or is it okay to to play the slow game and kind of let things work themselves out over time i mean for me i think the defensive transition one is the one that seems to be the most evident and the one that leads to issues and i think that's the one that leads to like our weird x goal numbers and like brad stuver leading the leading league in saves and the like the fact that he's been a, he's been our man of the match the last two matches that we've lost, right? Because Brad Stuver's the person who kept it competitive and 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 kept these kept these things from getting worse. And like, and just, I don't I don't know I don't know how you how you fix those issues given um, the folks the talent we have in the field, or if it's just something else. Uh, so, I, do you have a perspective on this? Yeah. So you you referenced another Twitter question we got it was from Samuel Mintz, and he says. We got to talk about the defense. Stuver is phenomenal, but opponents are at 2.2 expected goals per 90, which is the second highest in MLS. Uh, and then the third highest is 1.84, so significantly lower than ours. And then 3.4 crosses into the box per 90, which is the fifth worst in the league. Um, so I think kind of tying these questions in together... I think if it's a tactical change, it's essentially either needs to be a tactical change or a personnel change. But if you're going to play this attacking and like live and die on these transition moments, you have to be able to finish chances. So I don't think we score enough goals to be living this dangerously at this moment. And so either Josh Wolf needs to change his tactics and be a bit more conservative until we can bring in the personnel who can do these things or we need to figure out a way to start being more productive in the attacking half. If we're, if we're going to give up this many goals and this many shots, we have to score some and that's not happening right now. Yeah. And the other thing it leads back to is the last, you know, match and a little bit more, you know, um, against Minnesota, Alex ring by himself made the transition, right? I mean, you think like all the balls that he, you know, all the turnovers that he created, you know, in the offensive end and, you know, just without him, what is a concern becomes like a major, major issue. Yeah. And I just don't know if you can put that much. I don't know if you can put that much on one guy because he's, he's going to have to skip some matches, you know, hopefully he doesn't get another red card. But I mean, I think that these struggles really highlight how key he is to the way that to pulling the strings in the entire system from like, back to front yeah and i it seems like all of our twitter questions are kind of tied in together but chris bills asked a question on twitter and uh referencing an article that he wrote which kind of ties 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 together the theme of this article which is is it time to dial things back or keep rolling the dice and so i think one of the things he mentions rolling the dice. I think one of the ways he did that is by playing Pereira instead of Burhalter at the six. Um, Pereira is a really dangerous attacking player, creates stuff out of nothing with his smooth dribbling and a pretty good passer of the ball as well. But he's not the tempo setter that Ring is. Ring will play simple passes, but he receives and gets rid of it really quickly. Um, and just everything moves through him. And that was not the case with with Danny playing there in the midfield. He he's his most dangerous moments were when he was able to kind of move forward and and dribble at people. 
but that's not what Austin wants their six to do. It's not what Wolf wants his six to do. And I think that's a thing that that Burhalter would have done a better job of. Um if I don't you, you trade some stuff off there, but I think Burhalter is the more conservative option because he plays six. That's that's the position he plays. And with uh with Pereira there, you saw um Pochettino ended up having to drop deep and really wide really often. And so you are not only had Pereira out of his um, best position by being at the six. In order to supplement that, you're having to move Pochettino out of his best position as well. And so it ended up being where Fagundes rarely even touched the ball. Uh, and so it, it just kind of threw everything out of whack. And so... Yeah, and, uh, I, it, Josh, like, uh, after the game said Danny had a pretty fair game, which is about as negative as I've heard him say talk, say, talk about anybody. You know, and, and very clearly mentioned, like, this is not his preference to play there. And he was, like, making the best of a bad situation. So I feel like maybe we got a little bit of an admission out of Josh that that might not have been the greatest idea in the post-game press conference. Um, yeah. Because they did, they did have more energy and movement when they when they made the subs. Yeah, so I think the 60th minute was when the subs came on, and the goal was in the 70-something minute. In that little stretch, that was some of the, the most dangerous we looked in the whole game. And it was when Pereira was moved forward and was uh, in his more comfortable position. He's more dangerous in that area. And then Burhalter was in a, in there in like kind of more of a tempo setter. And then Danny could kind of do what he was doing and Pochettino can do what he's better at instead of having to be a part of that buildup to have someone who knows that, that number six position to kind of set that tempo for these other guys to, to be a bit more creative. And so, um, I think in an attempt to be more attacking, he ended up making us less attacking, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree with that. That does in some way. Um, we have another um, question from Tony, uh, TFO Photos on Twitter. He says, when do we start putting Wolf in check with the way he has been subbing? And so I I thought this was an interesting question. So I actually responded to it and asked him which specific subs he had a problem with and he specifically mentioned bringing off Fagundes for Burhalter. and I thought that that was like I just mentioned I thought that was one of the smartest subs that happened and maybe should have been the the option from the start but have, have, has there been many wolf subs that you've not agreed with or have you seen anything online of other people mentioning things that they didn't like yeah the things that I've heard from people online um, it, they talked about not liking where how early they subbed, um, and I, that goes even back to, gosh, I guess even the first game, right when um, is that when Cecilio and Pochettino both came off, and people are like, oh, well, you sub your DPs off, you know, early, and but what what I've heard some criticism of is that there's like the subs he takes around the 60th minute, and that the starters should be allowed like more time to to establish themselves before they come off. Um, but it's also something I disagree with, and I think you do too, because yeah. we talked about it before. I've got no problem with that. I mean, especially in those first few games, it's really early in the season, so not everybody's 90 minutes fit yet. But also we're playing a really high-tempo game and pressing really high. And so in order to keep that up, I think some of those changes are necessary. And then especially when you have some some of these changes that he's making, it's not a huge drop-off a lot of times. I mean, with, with Pochettino, I think a lot of that had to do with fitness. Uh, he just hadn't played in a long time and needed 
to kind of build up to being able to play longer stretches. But when you've got Stroud and Redes playing in the same position, you don't lose a ton by moving one of those guys in and out. And so I'm fine with having one of them 60 minutes and bring the other one in that can keep just running and running and running and pressing. So I've, I, yeah, I've honestly, I think my only criticism of substitution so far is we talked about it last week against uh, Kansas city after the red card. Maybe he went a little bit too defensively too soon. Um, other than that, I've honestly been pretty happy with Josh Wolf substitutions. Yeah. Me, yeah, me too. And I think it shows that, uh, it's one of the, one of the things, and this will be a comparison to Nashville, which we're going to talk about because that's our, our next match. But you know, I don't feel like our first eleven is necessarily the strongest eleven in the league, but our the next guys in are almost as good, right? I feel like right. we're a deep team. Like we don't have as much high end talent as other clubs have, but we're a deep team, and that's where you do want to sub more to take advantage of that because you're not losing anything by bringing in your reserves. Absolutely. Um, one other thing that I wanted to kind of bring up that I'd heard online is uh, some people talking about starting Jimenez over Lima. And I, I heard this a couple of different times saying that they started Jimenez as a more defensive option. And I almost, I see that exactly opposite. I think Lima is an excellent defender and Seeing what Jimenez was able to do in this game, I think maybe he's the better option going forward. Uh, I've, I think Lima's passing and kind of decisions on the ball have been a little bit suspect all season, but he's been really solid defending so far. And so I thought that was strange that people thought that they're intentionally playing Jimenez to be in a more defensive setup. But I, I think that comes down completely to rotation, right? Because Nick Lima... Because Nick Lima... Jan Romagna and Brad Stuver were the only three players that have played every minute this season. And so it, yeah. it has to just be rotation, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was, t- it was time, time for it for sure. And we knew, and Josh signaled that when he talked um, early on about um, earlier in the week about the need to rotate players in. So I think that one had to be seen coming. All right. And one, one more question before we finish up is from Aaron or Corey, which is his name on Twitter there. Said the Verde keeper kit showing up in the Austin FC team store and how stoked we are for uh, for Brad, the the leader of the release the keeper kit movement. Um, we're actually, yeah. What, what what do we want to say about that, Jeremiah? Well, we're very excited for Brad. Uh, I believe they sold out of keeper kits, Verde keeper kits today. So clearly, uh, they he showed that there was, or you know, he and others showed there was a lot of interest. Um, I think I will miss his what fifty three part series or whatever it is now <laughs> of Twitter videos, but we're actually going to have Brad uh, it, on next week uh, to talk a little bit about the keeper kit, the relationship they've developed with the Stuvers. Uh, you know, he and his wife both, and then also he's going to he's one of the leaders of the Nash Verde trip, so we'll get a on the ground report from what happens in Nashville from him next week. Yeah, that, that, you have that to look forward to the the saga of the Verde keeper kit. Uh, so, what's your overall takeaway of this this game against LA Galaxy, Jeremiah? I, I felt they were they were flat. I mean, it was tough. It was the end of a long stretch. Um, I never really felt like they were a huge threat to win. You know, I thought maybe at some point we might get a fluke like counterattacking goal and pick up a draw. Uh, but, you know, we talked last week about sort of the difficulty of the second half of this road trip and how we 
shouldn't expect too much from it. And I feel like, I think last week we talked about four points out of these four matches being good. And I think this reinforces that we should still feel that way. Cause if we're going to pick up a win, it's probably going to have to be this week um, out of that trip. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I know we just said we were going to end this part, but there's one other thing I wanted to talk about, which is, I don't know how we didn't talk about it already, but we talk about the striker position every, every game. It seems to be kind of the biggest point of contention among the fan base this week. Uh, John Gallagher didn't travel, uh, had some unknown injury. Doesn't seem they're not acting like it's something super serious. So hopefully he'll be back soon. But uh, essentially, only had one striker on on the whole squad in LA. They ended up taking off um, taking off Husin around. Was that in the 60th minute or was that later on in the game? It was a little bit later. So. Brought Houston off, ended up moving Cecilio over to the the nine, which is something we talked about being a possibility on the last episode. And that was maybe in the stretch where we looked probably the most dangerous on offense was with Cecilio playing the false nine and Kukuta Mane uh, at the, on the left wing, which Kukuta, I think, ended up producing four shots. And one of them, which was right over the bar, which could have very easily gone in, but... Uh, yeah, it's. I mean, it's not an ideal scenario having to play someone like that out of position at the nine. But I think it's something else for Josh Wolf to think about going forward. Is is that an option that he would maybe go go with from the start? Is playing Cecilio at that nine and letting him be a real false nine as opposed to like a false winger dropping inside and just doing it from from there and playing some of these more dynamic players out on the wing instead. So. Yeah, well, that's something to keep an eye on for for Nashville, for sure. And one of those uh, passing charts that we've talked about that are amazing for audio, uh, <laughs> Phil West posted in Striker Slack today, and it showed the little web, and there were there were zero passes. Like, Danny Houston's number was sitting out there with, like, no connecting points. Yeah, cause no lines connected. I don't think... No lines, because nobody successfully delivered a ball to him the whole match. And I think that's part indictment on... On Husson, I think a lot of people would say like, "Oh, well, Husson needs to do better." But I think that's a team thing as well. It, it a striker can't give the ball to himself, um, right? So I, yes, I do think Husson was underwhelming, but I also think everyone else was too, and that they should have done more to actually get the ball and a chance to give him the ball. So, um, all right, you ready to take a break, Jeremiah? Yeah, let's take a break. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with uh, talk about Austin FC salaries, and then we'll also do a preview of the Nashville game. Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FBF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FBF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community, transparency, and client education. You can go to fbf.law to find out more about what makes FBF different and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's fbf.law. All right, we're back. And before we jump into... Uh, salaries and the Nashville game. There's a few other bits of Austin FC news that we wanted to get to real quick. 
the first of which is Freddie Kleeman and Brady Scott it was announced that they're both going out on loan to USL teams for the rest of the season. Freddie Kleeman's going to join uh, Birmingham Legion and Brady Scott's going to Memphis 901. Um, what do we think this means, Jeremiah? Well, I think that Scott is the least surprising news for sure, right? Because we've got up to this point, we have what, five goals? Five keepers up, I think, that we had training with the team. Yeah, uh, yeah, because I mean, Noah Lawrence was was training with Yeah, they brought again. him back. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that one has to happen. I think Brady Scott occupies his senior roster spot, doesn't he? Because he was an expansion draft pick. Correct. So that one makes a ton of sense. The Freddie Kleeman move, I think, is the more interesting one um, because it's not a position of extreme depth. I mean, I would assume he's cover for... Romagna at this or would have been, you know, I mean, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. know, but he, he seemed like he seemed pretty uh, valuable to loan out to the USL and not have the opportunity to put him in the lineup. Yeah. In a vacuum, uh, a guy like this first year player, want to get him some minutes to get some more experience. That makes complete sense. But in the, in the context of this roster, you're right. Like it's, we have three center backs now. And so I think, they almost have to be looking to get another center back in pretty soon, don't you think? Yeah, we have to be. And we have three center backs, and I don't think anybody wants to see Beasler and Cascante on the field at the same time, just given their like speed limitations. Right. I, mean, I, I think that would be like a really, really good situation for anybody. So I can't imagine they would be making this move unless they had a plan to to backfill somewhere. Yeah, and we'll we'll get into salaries here in a bit, but I think Austin has the cap space to bring in someone who could compete for a starting spot. Um, so they could go that route, or they could just go for a depth spot and spend that money elsewhere. But in any case, I think you hit the nail on the head. We need someone more athletic that can fill in for Romagna. Romagna can't play every minute like he has so far. He needs. We at least need to have the option to take him out of the game. Because, yeah, the the thought of having Beasler and Cascante in there at the same time is pretty terrifying. Yeah, for sure. And uh, Chris Bills did a good job. I think it was in the in the Verde letters last week talking about what this means. I'm really talking about the expansion draft in the context of the Scott move. So with the expansion draft, we managed to to pick two two starters for Austin, two starters for other teams, and Brady Scott. And you know that is not a terribly successful to this point uh expansion draft so far uh I, yeah and I, I, think, I think his point was like we could have we could have there were other players out there that maybe would have filled spots that where, where we need depth and we need help that we could have drafted i think yeah and i think he's completely right but i one thing that i would maybe like to give a rebuttal to is framing it as if because Kamal Miller is doing well, that that was like a worthless pick. We got a fair amount of money back for him. And so we got money and that 11th pick, which ended up being Freddie Kleeman. So I think by saying like, oh, well, Kamal Miller is better than Freddie Kleeman, we should have kept that. I don't think that's an entirely fair assessment because we also got 200, I think it was $225,000 who bought us i'm not sure which of those players they they traded for cost that much but essentially got another player and freddie kleeman for kamal miller and so i don't think it's entirely fair to say that because kamal miller is doing well that that was a bad idea 
But I think he is still entirely entirely right that Austin FC should have done a little bit better with their expansion draft picks. Yeah, we also learned that Q2 is becoming a very popular stadium for all kinds of matches. So we last week we heard that the U.S. women's team was going to play the first match there, and then we we uh, heard this week that a Gold Cup semifinal uh, is going to be hosted at Q2, which if you look at the groups provided that either U.S. or Mexico makes it, uh, one of them will be playing at Q2, and I, I would imagine that would be the U.S. based upon stadium size for this semifinal versus wherever the other one is. I, th- I don't think Q2 is big enough to hold a Mexican national team Gold Cup semifinal. Well, how about you? Yeah, no, I think the same thing. is One thing I didn't look at, is it possible for those teams to play each other in the semifinal? They or could the play bracket? each other. Okay, so I would say the- if if they do play each other in the semifinal, then that's the only scenario where either either they play each other in the semifinal or one of them loses before that point we're not going to see one of those two teams. But if they stay on opposite sides of the bracket and both of them make it, there's a very good chance we're going to see one of those teams here. And like you said, it's if both of them are there, it's going to be the U.S. because Mexico is too big of a draw to put in such a small stadium. Nobody's going to give away all that extra money that the other 60,000 seats they could sell would, would provide. Yeah, for sure. Um, I have one other stadium rumor. We Last week we talked about um, craft beer versus queso. And then this week we heard a room. Well, you've had faith all along <laughs> that like high quality local craft beer was coming. But like this week we heard maybe a second, third hand rumor that this is like this is, may indeed be a real thing. And so we just wanted to throw that out there because every time we put a rumor out there, usually we get better information after the fact than whatever whatever <laughs> we said. So yeah. I'm gonna say we've heard we heard the craft beer situation may be good. If you know more about it, tell us. We'd be really happy, and we promise not to like give your name away or whatever. Yes. But it would, it would, it would bring us joy and fans' joy to know that we're going to have a lot of local beer in the stadium and make uh, make uh, Brian Mangum's life a little bit longer, probably. Probably, and yeah, that causes <laughs> that guy a lot of stress for sure. <laughs> uh, all right, let's jump into salary talk. So, as we mentioned at the top of the show, the MLS Players Association every year releases the um, the salary of every player in the league and so we didn't get this in 2020 um i think with the pay cuts and with covid stuff going on they decided not to do that for whatever reason and so we got this year's a little bit earlier than than normal i think but uh what are some of your your main takeaways from the information we got out of this jeremiah well i think one thing that's of interest to everybody is sort of who the highest paid players in the league are um unlike in 2019 i think it's not a surprise i mean the the five highest paid players are really good which is a part of it so number one is carlos vela 6.3 million chicharito at six uh Gonzalo higuain at 5.8 Pozuelo at 4.7 and then joseph martinez at 3.9 i mean those are all household names and players that are contributing a lot although i guess chicharito is doing that this year maybe last year we might have had a different opinion but you totally understand why he's one of the highest paid players in the league so I mean, it's it's a good list. I wasn't surprised by who was on it. Um, honestly, I was a little bit surprised that some of these guys, like Joseph Martinez, is probably worth more than the three point nine million. But um, it's it's a it's a good list of players. So I see that you have written only one American in the top twenty five players, and I was just another piece of trivia. I was trying to think of who that was. Who who is that American? I don't think I know. 
that would be the sixth highest paid player in the league. Well, uh, is Josie Altador. Oh, okay, I was gonna guess Michael Bradley, but he he ran, his contract ran down a couple. Yeah, years Bradley's ago. not even. A, yeah, he's not even a DP anymore. He's a TAM player. He now. would have been probably top five uh, before that, though, right? I think he was making four or five million or something like that. Yeah, Bradley was, and there was the guy from Chicago, um, Schweinsteiger. Yeah, Schweinsteiger was in the top five in 2019, and you know, and that's where there's like. Yeah, moving Pasuelo and Iguain and definitely makes an, an improvement, I think, in terms of like the highest paid players. Um, so as far as like the spectrum of the league, where does Austin FC sit in, as far as their overall spending? Out of the 27 teams, they sit in 26th, I believe, right? Vancouver was at the bottom and then Austin was uh, the second lowest. Uh, and then, you know, Philadelphia Union is the third lowest, which shows that Salary does not necessarily lead to results. <laughs> also, Inter Miami being the highest having the highest uh, salary bill in the whole league also proves that out too. So, if you look at the top five, it's Inter Miami, Toronto, Galaxy, Atlanta United, and FC Cincinnati, which is just like fully embracing <laughs> team chaos. <laughs> and then Austin was at the bottom, along with Vancouver, Philadelphia, Houston, and the Rapids. So, um. It shows that money isn't everything, I guess. That's what I get out of that. I, I think looking at that ranking, I think a lot of people might assume that that means like Austin's being cheap. Um, I think there's a little bit of that to it. If, if you look back at pre-courts teams in Columbus, as far as like bang for buck, col those Columbus teams were probably the best in the league as far as like a relatively low roster spend, but putting together a really quality roster that was kind of what pre-court did there he's publicly said that they aim to be in the top third in spending right now honestly they're one big dp away from doing that right and so i think part of us being so low is the um being an expansion team having fewer players than a lot of these teams do and then also uh we've got one dp slot to fill and then we'll get into this in a second maybe two dp slots that we could potentially fill this year and so there's still quite a bit of money to be spent this year, not even going forward, but this year there's a fair amount of money to be spent. And so I, would, I could see by the, uh, even by the end of the summer, us being in the top half of the league on this chart, if not higher than that. Yeah, and even our DPs, Cecilia and Pochettino, relatively speaking, are not insanely expensive. I mean, Cecilia was the highest paid player, but I think he was maybe like, 28th or 30th or something overall so it's not like we've got even our two dps are like super high paid dps so that that gives us a lot of room to grow yeah so getting into the austin roster specifically what were some of the other things that stood out to you uh not surprising that cecilia was the highest paid player uh danny houston making 720k i think which what made him like third on the roster i think was yeah, a little bit I think he's third. a little bit surprising given the results. Um I was really surprised that Romagna made 420k this year, which was among, you know, the top 5 or 6 salaries in our club just cuz he was I mean, he was just a guy. I mean, he's good, but it's not like he was somebody they scouted. I mean, they, you know, Claudio and Josh needed to to put Rodney and Cecilio somewhere. And they were on water knee, and then they found this guy who was really, really good and gave him a bunch of money. And so I go, you know, God bless his agent for doing <laughs> that job. 
It's, it's the same agent as uh, as Rodney, I think. Is that right? Or does he have a? Is he an eagle no, I think eye so. guy? I think, uh, yeah, I think he and I think he and Rodney have the same agent. Yep. Um. So yeah, that's in, that's interesting too. Um. I think my biggest uh biggest takeaway from this is looking at Pochettino's salary, which is what well, it ended up being like six hundred and forty two thousand or something like that. Uh, I have it here. Yeah. So there's you have the base salary and then guaranteed compensation. We're going to go with the guaranteed compensation because that's usually what the actual cap pit is going to be. Pochettino's uh, guaranteed comp is $642,447. So although he is a DP, he's essentially a DP in name only because there are three or four other players on the team that are making more money than him. And so... What that means, going back to our nerdy Gam and Tam episodes, it means that uh, that Tomas Pochettino could potentially be bought down to no longer be a designated player. What that would do would end up um, opening up another designated player spot for us, so we could potentially fill two more designated player spots this this summer. Um, if they end up leaving him as a designated player and just signing that one, what that would do is end up opening up all three of our young money slots. And so what we thought was maybe one or two spots that were going to be available for the summer could really end up being three or four. I'm not saying that we're definitely going to sign three or four players, but the options look a lot better now as far as like, how they could structure this roster, how much money they could spend, how big of uh, big of names or higher profile players they could be bringing in. Not necessarily saying they're going to be big names, but just like big talents and the amount of money they can spend on these players coming in. So I thought that was something that was pretty encouraging that came out of these numbers. Yeah, and the other thing on the bottom end, uh, I think Stroud, Gallagher, and Mane which I think is a little bit surprising are all uh, minimum salary players at 81,300, whatever it is, uh, which they're getting great production out of those guys at that amount of money. That is, yeah, some of those are really surprising. So going back, if you, if you listen to our Gam and Tam episode, I made a spreadsheet and essentially guessed how much all of our players were making. I went back and put the real number next to my estimates and Jeremiah, I have to say, I did a great job. I'm proud of you. <laughs> Except one that I got really wrong was Kakuta Mane. He, in, in past teams, he was making close to $400,000 a season. And he's making $82,000. He's on essentially senior roster minimum for Austin, which that alone is like Claudio Reyna earned his paycheck this year by getting some of these guys on minimum contracts because... Yeah, we're getting a lot of production out of guys who aren't making very much money at all. And so um, those are things that probably aren't going to stay that way forever. But uh, it's amazing that we got those guys on on those kinds of contracts this year. And did you did you mention? Yeah, you mentioned Stuver already, right? No, we haven't talked about Stuver. OK, uh, yeah. And we, we wondered where he slotted in because I think he last in 2019, he was around. I think 100,000 or so. Yeah, like 100 and something. Yeah. And we thought. We didn't know where he would be. We obviously knew he was going to make less than Tarbell, um, but he has proved to be of good value too at 
I think it's 160 in uh, guaranteed compensation this year, which is honestly a little more than I thought it might be. Yeah, and I, I think he was... It was lower in New York than that. But, um, yeah, I mean, if, if you're bringing in a guy to compete for a starting spot, he's probably going to expect a little bit of a raise, especially he's 29 when they signed him. So I think that it, it makes sense and it's fair. But, uh, yeah, definitely has has earned that paycheck this season with his performances so far. And I, I've heard a lot of people say, like, give give him a pay, like, give him a pay increase this season. I was like, well, it doesn't really work that way. But... <laughs> If uh, if he keeps it up, because he's probably not on a very long, not on a very long contract. I I would guess one or two years, and so yeah, that's it. That's that's the thing we don't know is like what like the length of any of these deals right now. Right. Yeah. So some of these guys who are on these minimum contracts, if they're if their contract is short, then it might be tough to keep them around on that same kind of money. Uh, if we are looking to like extend that contract essentially. So there's a lot to keep an eye on here. Um, I'm going to try to do some more digging on this and maybe we'll have some more interesting nuggets in the future. But uh, yeah, lots of interesting info there. And I think one one thing that's just weird and it's no fault of those guys is like, you know, Schoenfeld and maybe Segura both are not going to play this year. And they're both over 200,000. You know, when you look at a club that's not, that high up. I mean, that's a relatively large amount of money to not have on the field at all. Yeah. I I mean, I think that's like part of the game, right? Like you're always going to have guys who are injured, but if coming into next season, it's going to essentially be like two new signings coming in. Um, So yeah, I don't like money you're already accounting for, but bringing in some two players who you think could be pretty useful pieces. All right, you want to jump into the Nashville preview, Jeremiah? Yeah, let's talk about Nashville. All right, uh, give us a little background about Nashville for for folks who haven't been following the league for very long. Well, it's Nashville uh, SC, which since every team in the league is either FC or SC, they went the SCC one. SC one. They're the uh, they're a second year expansion team. They entered last year with uh, Miami. Uh, they're because of this unbalanced schedule in this COVID year, it's one of only two Eastern Conference teams that we're going to play, with the other one being the matchup against Columbus in later in June. Um, they had a really weird year last year because they... I think they flew to MLS's bag, but didn't actually get to compete in it, or did they get turned away? Did uh, they drop out before the... They didn't go. Dallas ended up flying in and okay. had to quarantine and just hang out there. I think Nashville never even traveled. I think they had positive okay. tests before they left. I couldn't I could remember the order. I knew one of them traveled and one of them didn't. But um, And they had this thing that Phil West, our friend Phil West loves, which is called the Gibson guitar riff before every match. <laughs> And have you have you watched any of these videos? I, still ha- I, I saw just one video after Phil told me about it, but I still haven't watched any other ones. But it's the one I saw was weird. <laughs> yeah, so it's like one you think if it's the Gibson guitar riff, it would be like a riff, like part of a song that you would have a guitarist come in and play. You know, like somebody doing the national anthem. But it's just it's like a minute of guitarists like rendering, like noodling around in random chords, and it's. Like it's a country music guy one week, and it's like I watched this Dave Mustaine from Megadeth like do it. <laughs> like he did the season opener. It's like random folk singers. So I'm glad that we do not have our own version of that. Uh, well, hopefully not. We don't. We're not doing that in Austin. But 
Yeah, look look that up on YouTube if you want something sort of weird and, and different. <laughs> so you mentioned um, Nashville having kind of a weird season last year, but they ended up having a pretty good year. So tell us how their their season ended. Yes, they last year, unlike this year. So last year there were what six teams made the playoffs in each conference, and then seven through ten were in the uh, like a play-in round, right? So seven played ten, eight played nine. They played Nat. They played Miami in the playing round, I think, and they won that one. Um, then they also beat Toronto in the first round of the playoffs, and then they beat. Then they ended up losing to Columbus eventually in the second round of the Eastern Conference playoffs. But they had really low expectations going in. Um, when we talked about salary, I think everybody expected Miami to be of the two to have better results, just because they had spent so much money, especially compared to what Nashville had done. And it sort of turned out to be the opposite. So they're a good example of like having a style and sticking to it. And they're super defensive and they've stayed that way. And they, they kind of know who they are. Um, and I think it's boring and terrible soccer. And I think you have a different opinion on that. If I remember our discussions last year, <laughs> they, but yeah, they were always credit boring. to them early in the season. They were boring, but I think they were more interesting to watch later in the year. And I honestly haven't gotten to watch them this season yet. So I'm not sure what they've looked like so far this season, but later, like in the playoffs and later in the year, I thought they were a little more fun to watch than they were the rest of the year. But talk about, um, expansion roster builds. A lot of people coming into this season were comparing Austin's roster build to Nashville's, where they kind of built out this spine, had a lot of uh, MLS experience in it, and then added pieces as they realized where they needed them. And so coming into this year, they really haven't made a ton of changes coming in. They Most of the same guys on the roster, they brought in CJ Sapong, uh, who is a veteran, veteran goal scorer in MLS, and then they've also brought in Alex Mule. Oh, I can never say this guy's last name. Muel Mule. I don't know how you say it. M-U-Y-L. Uh, played at Red Bulls for the last few years. And he's started in four of their five games so far. So um, really only added a few spots. And then later in the season, much like Austin, people are expecting Austin to do, they added a designated player striker halfway through the season last year. So um, I think... Watching this game, you, Austin might be seeing somewhat of a, a slightly different version of itself as far as the roster build goes. Um, how how are they doing this season so far, Jeremiah? Well, on the roster build, could just back on that, I think people even talked about uh, Alex Ring sort of being the Austin version of Walker Zimmerman, right? Because uh, Nashville brought Zimmerman, you know, one of the really strong player in MLS, you know, great track record. Uh, and ring is very similar to that and sort of like one of the keys to like how the club plays. But yeah, this year they're, they have the weirdest results. So they're eighth in the East with their one win, no losses and four draws through five matches, <laughs> which is something I don't think I've ever seen before. Uh, I had to go back and look at that. So they've only, they've scored six and conceded four. So it's a lot of, actually there's a lot of, I don't think there was a single one, one, there was a lot of nil, nil, 2-2 two, two, and like 1-0 are their results so far. So they're definitely living up to their reputation for being a defensive powerhouse with limitations in the attack. Who have been their most uh, attacking players so far? So there's two two players to look for. Both are DPs. I'm going to screw their names up. Uh, <laughs> Jandra Cadiz 
who's their DP striker, who scored two of their six goals so far. And then uh, Randall Leal, who's a midfielder, sort of their number 10. Um, he's a young guy. He's Costa Rican, and he's, he's scored one goal um, so far this year. Yeah, so uh, I think as far as... I think you mentioned this earlier in the show, but as far as like looking at the string of away matches that we still have to come, this is one of the ones that Austin will want to win. Um, I don't know that it's necessarily one that they'll be expected to win because Nashville is not a bad team. They're like I said, they finished last year really strong. Have have kind of not had had to change much and brought in a few more pieces this year. But it's going to be a tough game. But it's one that Austin will want definitely want to win because they're not getting easier from here on out. So I think, I think it's definitely one that they should put, put everything into to try to get at least a point out of. If your choices are winning at Nashville, Seattle or Kansas city, Nashville seems like the greatest opportunity to do that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Anything else on Nashville, Jeremiah? No, I think that's, that's enough. I think, well, again, uh, there's going to be a really big traveling contingent. Uh, and do you know how many, uh, how many tickets have been, accounted for so far around 200 um this will be interesting because they play in the nfl stadium uh too so there's gonna be you know there'll be the the fans will be the lower bowl of like a probably pretty pretty giant stadium um and also i think after the i don't know if this is directly related to colorado but the nashville folks were not excited about drums or (laughs) horns or anything coming in so we'll see how much noise a couple hundred people uh much noise a couple hundred Austin FC fans can make acapella, which is something they're going to have to work out this week. Yeah, that'll be that'll be interesting to see, but it's going to be a lot of fun to see that much Verde in a stadium again for sure. All right, before we wrap up, we'd like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, it's, I, we're still doing our Central Texas Food Bank donations. I'm not sure how much longer we'll be doing it, so... Um, We've gotten we've gotten a pretty good response from it, and the that that bill's getting a little bit high now. <laughs> but uh, we, we'll 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 do it for at least another week or two. So if you want to get some money to a good cause, leave us a review. Let us know. We'll add five dollars more to that donation we're going to make to the Central Texas Food Bank, and then you can let us know uh, your address, and we'll send you some some uh, Moon Tower soccer stickers as well. If you want to continue the conversation, send us questions that we'll try to answer on the show, anything like that, find us on Twitter, LVAHero87 and jbentley underscore ATX. And you can also find us uh, at Moon Tower Soccer on Twitter and then at Moon Tower Soccer on Instagram. Um, yeah, come come find us and get in on that conversation. Uh, also visit the Striker Texas website. Jeremiah, Jeremiah what's, a, what's a good story that folks should look for this week? Chris Bilzer wrote a really good story about uh, Roma Desai, who is the only fan, uh, probably the only person not officially associated with the team other than Chris, who has been to all five Austin FC matches. So Roma's uh, been on the road. Roma's planning on going to Nashville. I think Seattle might be, uh, depending upon the flight, depending on flights and uh, ticket prices, might be the street breaker for her on that. <laughs> Yeah, Roma. I, I got to spend a lot of time with Roma in uh, in Minneapolis, and she's she's excellent. So yeah, definitely go check out that story. 
Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back in one week with a new episode of Moon Tower Soccer, where we will review the Nashville game. Hopefully, we'll be reviewing a victory. And then we'll also preview the uh, the upcoming match against the Seattle Sounders and then any other Austin FC news that breaks in between. Until then, I'm Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. When the water is around.